welcome to episode 289 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Ash Baker. But let's go ahead uh, and jump into our... You know, we have... we've Part one, we're going to be talking about movies we saw this week. And then part two, we'll be continuing our intro to avant-garde series with uh, Structure and Psychedelia. But let's go ahead and jump into movies that we saw this week. Ash, you caught a... Uh, a Big time, big time cinema classic. Um, it's also one that we have we've hit on in, in this podcast. But I'll be curious to get your get your thoughts and feelings about Man with a Movie Camera. Yeah, um, I saw Man with a Movie Camera um, this past week. It's um, came out in nineteen twenty nine. Um, it's sort of a well, it's an avant garde um, silent film and. Um, it's totally wild, but um, I uh, sort of, you know, while a lot of avant-garde films don't really have, um, or a lot of them don't, you know, fall into the, um, uh, like, narrative category or, um, yeah. Uh, a lot of them don't follow a particular narrative. I felt like this one sort of did in a way. Um, while it doesn't like, we don't have a character necessarily, except the man with a movie camera. Um, we're just sort of following him looking at stuff with the camera. And, um, we're sort of, he, he sort of gives us all these different images that, um, sort of make a story and eventually he sort of breaks um the wall of what we're seeing and like shows the movie being made and edited and things like that which is really wild but um yeah it's a really interesting movie um there are lots of really short takes uh, or not necessarily short takes, but just takes that have been cut and edited into really um, tiny little um, clips and uh, a lot of shocking images. I was rather horrified to see a baby being rocketed out of the womb um, at some point. But you know, um, it's things are yeah. different in Russia. So. Just like casually just like shooting out um really gross um but uh yeah really interesting movie really also just uh sort of wonderful in moments um visually i think very pleasurable um and then also very stressful in moments this was a very interesting experience all in all <laughs> yeah um it's it, it's kind of interesting and we can talk about it a little bit since we're you know on the episode where we're going to talk we, we, or at least we've in this series we've been talking more at length about avant-garde cinema which i think man with a movie camera has uh, definitely has elements of um it's something that I, I think has elements of a couple movies in the series that we talked about last week um it's just like manhattan where there's kind of like this um it kind of has that symphony of a city type vibe to it. Um, but it's funny that we, we talked about that movie in our short series on documentaries and kind of looked at, as it, at it more as kind of a, a uh, you know, in a more documentarian, documentarian context. Um, 
you know, looking at that period of, of history as well as what um, people were doing with movies. And Ziga Vertov, who, who directed it, really has this, um, like, the, the way that he, the, the, it moves around the city and the way he's, like, interacting with the city in, in that kind of context. Uh, it's, it's strange. It's much more... Um, it's much more engaged than something like Manhattan where it's more of that one is more, is much more kind of bird's eye. You're a little bit detached from like the actual city and it's kind of almost, you have like this kind of God uh, omnipresent quality to it where you're just kind of looking down and kind of observing it. Um, But man with a movie camera is very like, um, is very much it's very kinetic you're you're very much in like the life of the city and that makes it at least to me that it's much more interesting because it feels like you're it almost feels like you're like running through the veins of that of that place uh throughout the course of the movie yeah and um it's sort of like um um Sorry, I totally forgot what I was going to say. Um, ridiculous. Um, oh, yeah, just the um, the documentary elements. It's like, um, you know, there are moments where, um, you know, there are these really sort of wild images. And, like, from a film from 1929, it feels like you're like, ooh, like, you know, this is, like, crazy experimental just because you know you wouldn't imagine people like um filming something like that at 1929 but then you remember oh like the concept of a guy just kind of walking around with a camera and you're like you know well yeah of course he would kind of take this shot or whatever because he's just sort of walking around with a camera and you know of course, he's going to get bored and, like, wave the camera around and get it really close to people's faces or, you know, do sort of weird stuff with it. And the real sort of magic of this um, movies and the editing, um, which is done by the filmmaker's wife, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, yeah, it's sort of just, like, really um, taken what you know, I guess he got just sort of walking around documenting whatever he see saw and um, uh, chopping it up into something that not only makes sense and doesn't make sense at the same time, but also is just like really aesthetically pleasing and uh, infuriating and um, effective. Yeah. Um, it's one, you know, especially with like the movies that we're talking about in the, in this, uh, in this avant-garde series, it's, it's one that like we, like like we've talked about, it's kind of, it's very much, I think in that category, I wouldn't even look at it as like a fringe job. I think it has definitely has a lot of avant-garde elements to it. And so, um, if you're kind of picking and choosing, just, you know, trying out a couple of the, of the movies we're talking about, even though this isn't in the series, I would say include this one as one too. It, it plus it, it's kind of one of those, you know, if you like movies, you should watch, you should watch it at least once just to kind of, it's, it's one of those rite of passage movies, I feel like. So, um, do, is it on, is it on like YouTube? 
Okay. I think I, I would say it's relatively accessible. Um, I don't know. I guess I could look, but you know, that would be too much work guys. Um, yeah, it looks like, uh, <laughs> you can check it out on all Soviet movies on YouTube. That is the channel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, you can find it there. Um, Moving on, I caught a couple movies. One is technically a, it's a festival re- for release from last year that is starting to, to crawl in the theaters this year. But first, I want to talk about an older movie. Um, his this director his he has a new one coming out this year. I caught it at TIFF, um, but his movie uh, Shoplifters. This is the director Hirokazu Koreeda. Um, his movie Shoplifters. I feel I kind of feel like was um, a little bit like. Little Parasite before Parasite. <laughs> it's dealing with kind of similar um, class and family structures. Um, you know, at the at the same time, vastly different, you know, moods and vibes between the two movies. But I think there is a little bit of a kinship in terms of what it's, what their directors are going for. Um, but this one is an earlier movie by Corrieta. Um, the one that's coming out this year actually is The Truth. Um, it stars Catherine Deneuve and Juliette Binoche and Ethan Hawke. It's his first non, uh, his, his non-Japanese um film it's this one set in french and uh, deals with a lot of french and english actors but um i can see the kind of inklings of this movie in in those two movies for sure this one is uh, still walking from 2008 and uh it takes place 12 years after the eldest son in the family has uh drowned while uh, saving a stranger's life um, and so the kids and their respective families are, are coming home to see the the father and the mother and just kind of have like a small family reunion for the day uh, just to kind of celebrate and commemorate the the their late brother um, but of course there's a lot of baggage and a lot of um, unsaid and sometimes said uh, things between the, the different members um, you have uh uh, you have uh, the younger son, uh, who younger than the than the son who died, uh, Ryota, who um, kind of feels like his. Um, <laughs> he has this feeling that his parents resent him because his his brother, who they, he, he in his opinion they liked a lot more, died and he's still alive and does and they, he also feels like they don't um, have much respect or uh admiration for the career path that he has taken or um the fact that he has married this new this woman yukari who uh her who is a widow herself and already has a kind of but you know seven probably well yeah seven to nine year old son with her um and so he's kind of you know entered this this family and so he feels like his parents kind of look down on that um and then you also have uh Ryota's sister who is there with her husband and um her, her name is Chinami and uh and she's there with her husband and her kids and they're very it's a very, they're kind of a very typical family they have a you know number of kids the, the husband's kind of a goofy guy um they seem to be kind of 
she seems to, to be a little bit more uh, upfront on, on top of just the the dynamics between the the different family members because you have the mom who um, is very grandmotherly, is very uh, warm and, and kind of enjoys doing typical grandmother things of like cooking food for people and getting them stuff and you know getting away with just saying stuff to to, to the different kids and, and family members that you just kind of to go you let go because she's the grandma um and, but who also kind of has this uh melancholy side to her when it comes to the subject of her oldest son who who died and then you also have the the father who was a longtime doctor um was kind of the the, the community doctor uh takes great pride in that profession but kind of found his way out because of uh declining eyesight as well as just um you know just urbanization bringing much bringing uh thing a lot more things to the town that it used to have and so a, a hospital came in place and the need for a for a community doctor was kind of dwindling at the same time as his as his eyesight and so he spends uh most of his days taking a, a casual walk through the, you know, through his neighborhood and then coming back and uh, he spends a lot of the movie. I mean, you have all of these different family, family members here in, in this household. Um, and for the most part, they stay in the house. Um, I, I've seen, I saw a lot of people on Letterboxd and just in writing kind of very much calling this Corieta's, uh Ozu movie. And in terms of like, understanding the the architecture architecture and and layout and in knowing where people are at a given time within the house um Corieta really does kind of knock has a knack for for you know adding those ozu elements to it um but yeah, you kind of have you have this grand this this the, the mother character who's who's there just kind of being a grandmother, uh, fighting off the the daughter who seems to be kind of pushing for her and her family to come live with them to kind of help take care of them, uh, and then you have this son who clearly doesn't keep in touch with them as much as he as they would like him to, and um, kind of has this fractured relationship with uh, with both his mom and his dad. Um, and you you definitely get those kind of ozu elements of these these um, you know kind of emotions and these resentments and these uh these points that the various members are holding on to that are just kind of bubbling under the under the surface um i don't i the the thing that i find so I don't think that this has the intergenerational um, uh, insight or or texture that an Ozu movie does. Ozu's movies, especially the the great ones, really have this reverence and this empathy for the various places that the different generations are at and so you can under you, you can kind of understand the point of the oldest character to the middle character to the youngest character and why they may be t- coming at some point or some issue in the way that they are because it's it's always highly influenced from their generation and how they were they were brought up especially you know you look at stuff like Tokyo Story and things of that and, and that kind of post-war Japan really plays into it um and this one there I, I find there's a little bit of it but it, it, it kind of lacks the nuance of, of some of the great Ozus um 
and but but it also kind of has this wonderful melancholy um beautifully contained um story that i love that that it, it keeps itself very much contained to this household to um this kind of group of characters i mean the the entire runtime it's it's pretty much you're just spending the day the evening and then the next morning with these with these members and um uh, you know, I, I found it really, I found it really moving, really beautiful. Um, you know, I think it between this and something even more recent like a Columbus, which has those kind of Ozu elements to it. It's nice to see that there is some that uh, some directors are like un, able to understand like what is powerful about his filmmaking out um, and kind of bring it to the modern age. Because I think that there are you can definitely. Um, just understanding that kind of intergenerational text is, is key to, to understanding what's effective about Ozu. Um, so I would, I would recommend for people who are kind of interested in this, this quiet, uh, family, uh, melodrama, you know, kind of fans of quiet family melodramas, kind of the, those, those simmering, uh, uh, past, uh, issues and emotions that are kind of just that never really they don't ever bubble up into like a giant outburst you're not going to get like that oscar scene where <laughs> it's the clip of the person yelling at the other person you know you're not going to get that ma- you're not going to get the marriage story meme with adam driver and scarlett johansson <laughs> yelling at each other because this is a good movie and so um <laughs> and so uh this uh this it this i don't know for i was thinking about that like for me it's this is much more effective because i i find it much more interesting when it's like all of this kind of bubbling stuff that it's it's always sitting there just like popping and and you think that it's just going to simmer over and completely turn into this uh just insane sequence but it it never really does like and you like it, you never it's like the, the they never nobody ever gets to say the 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 thing that they want to say whether that's positive or negative it's just like they're unable the, 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 that that inability for communication is just uh you know constantly suffocating them and i like that <laughs> i don't know it's i don't know what that says about me but i hope uh, you know i apologize <laughs> i apologize to people in my life who I, who, uh, who uh have to deal with that that seems to suck but um but yeah i don't know <laughs> I'm still walking. <laughs> uh, it's on the uh, Criterion channel right now. If you'd like to check it out, um, yeah, you know it's good stuff. I would recommend checking out Coriatus if you didn't see Shoplifters, which I think is fine. I like this a lot better. Or uh, The Truth, which comes out this year. I would recommend seeing his movies. Um, the other movie I want to talk about real quickly is uh, Corpus Christi. Uh, it's by the director Jan Komasa, and it's a Polish film. Uh, it should be. It, premiered at tiff um i was i wanted to go see it there and was unable to i saw it a couple weeks back um though and uh i think it's kind of crawling out slowly into uh new york la and kind of wide release um but pretty much the story of this is it follows this 20 year old named daniel who uh kind of begins to find uh Get, kind of get into into spirit, spirituality and Christianity while he's living in this youth detention center. Um, 
but he kind of befriends the 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 priest who who works with the the boys there but uh when he leaves he kind of he, he kind of mentions to the priest like i would like you know kind of like to continue to follow this path once i leave and the priest is like i mean that's uh you know it's wonderful that you that you have faith but it's going to be impossible to like become a priest because of your criminal record and so daniel's left um he uh, having to find work in other places, and so he's sent to this uh, workshop in this small town to uh, to get a job there and just kind of get back into the workforce. Um, but when he gets there, he uh, he bails on going to the workshop and ends up inside a, the local church. And inside the local church, um, he uh, he kind of hoodwinks himself in there to, as uh, and and tells them that he is a traveling priest. And so uh, the, uh, the 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 priest who is there uh, kind of takes a liking to him, and has him just kind of there under his wing for the few day, for a few days, and then the 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 head priest uh, suffers some some health issues and is like, all right, well, can you take over the the parish for me for a few you know for a little while, and so uh, the rest of the movie is Daniel kind of just really leaning into. Uh, like what drew him to what one, one what drew him to like spirituality but also like his interpretation of it from just his the past that he's had compared to the much more traditional um seminary based uh kind of storytelling that the 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 head priest and other people that he's come in contact with have and he also uses that as kind of this opportunity to help a local community, the, the, the local community there who had uh, recently kind of heal after suffering this tragedy where uh, a, a drunk driver ran into this car of a bunch of uh, kind of younger people in the community killing everybody involved and um, the, you know, mothers and fathers of those kids come and they have like a little shrine near the church and they go and pray and hold candles each night um and pretty much the entire community has ostracized the the woman who was married to the drunk driver um and he he takes that upon himself to kind of try to bridge that gap as well and so it's a it's a real i think it's a it's a really interesting um kind of i would say like a companion piece to something of like kind of first reformed uh it, it kind of has that you have me there i'm interested <laughs> <laughs> it it doesn't i i mean I'll, I'll admit it does not have the whole climate change subplot that first reform has but it kind of has like the wool the you know the wolf in sheep's clothing type thing i mean the the interesting thing about this movie is that the entire time he's like involved in running the parish you never really see him as like he's there at least for me i never saw him there as like infecting this 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 you know spiritual base like instead like i like i said before it's like he he kind of took his slant on on spirituality and presented the stories in that fashion and it seemed to respond and so when the kind of the third act of the movie happens um you know i don't i don't want to get too deep because i i would recommend people go and check it out but when the third act happens and people from his past start to kind of um clue in on uh where what's happened with him and where he's at uh you know i think that there is a little bit of like a of a kind of a of a tug of war like for you the viewer because um on one end you're like yeah he shouldn't be doing this because he kind of you know 
hoodwinked his way in here. You know, he he did it uh, under false pretenses. But at the same time, there's something much more like vivid and true about the way he's um, presenting his faith um, compared to the much more again, the much more by-the-book, seminary-based education that uh, he's kind of run into. And everybody seems to kind of respond to it, and he kind of ha- he's, he's found this this base for himself. And the thing I was thinking about is that he opens the movie kind of within this system. You know, he's, he's stuck within this, you know, the juvenile uh, detention system, he, you know, the prison complex. He's kind of just stuck in that wheel. And then when he makes the choice to kind of follow this, the spiritual path. And even though he kind of cons his way into it, like he, uh, he enters this new system that kind of begins to refresh him. And then again, without spoiling too much, you know, that's that early system kind of finds its way in. And it's kind of, to me, the thing I was left thinking about was how we had, uh, you know, he, he very much was just a product of the, what the environment was feeding to him. Like he, he clearly had this way to connect with others and to find a path that was a little bit, that was much more fulfilling than the course that he was taking when you first met him at the beginning of the movie. But unfortunately, like, uh, because of whatever choices and whatever uh, mistakes he made early on or whatever he fell into. Um, it's his, I mean, at the age of 20, he's like written off for the rest of his life. And um, rather than being like a much more cookie cutter by the books, like prison story, I found this one to be really compelling. Um, but yeah, Corpus Christi, I would, I would recommend if it plays in your area, it'll probably be streaming and such at some point, but uh, I would recommend checking it out. It's a good movie. Um, cool. We're going to take a short break and then we'll be back in part two talking structure and psychedelia after this. Hello, Cinematary. This is Zach, your host, and I'm going to use this midpoint in this week's episode to let you know a little bit about what's happening on both the website and the podcast. So first off, uh, I know for a very long time we asked you not to give us any money. Well, things have changed. (laughs) We want that money. I'm just kidding. We just want like five dollars a month for the rest of your life. But we're doing a Patreon, and I promise this is all in good fun. Uh, Patreon.com slash Cinematary. I'm sure you've heard us mention it at the end of the episode. We are doing this in order to pay for our writing that is happening on the website. We have a wonderful breadth of writers who are all giving a lot of time and effort to come up with reviews and share their thoughts on the website, and so we wanted to just give back to them in that way. And so that is why we created our Patreon page. So again, for $5 a month, you can get exclusive content from the staff. Uh, Right now we have our hit series Film Theory and Chill, which takes a piece of film theory each month and then deconstructs it uh, in a way that makes it a little bit more accessible. And then we end that episode usually with just us rambling about whatever is on our mind at that period of time. It's uh, it's it's for some people, I guess. <laughs> but uh, you can find that on patreon.com slash cinematary. Please consider you know making that note donation each month just to uh, help the help show these writers your appreciation for what they do. 
Another easy way to kind of keep up with what's happening on Cinematary is signing up for our free newsletter. So if you missed an episode, if you weren't paying attention to social media and you missed maybe a review or something or a video essay or something that we posted, this is an easy way to keep up with all of that. So each Sunday we send out a note. It goes straight to your inbox. It gives you the latest podcast episodes, you know, what's happening on the Patreon page and the last two reviews that are on Cinematary.com. This is a great way to keep up with what's happening and it's a nice way if you forget to go, oh, hey, I'm not, you know, just chilling out on a Sunday. I'm having some coffee doing Sunday things here. I'm going to check out what uh, what Andrew wrote about something or what uh, Nathan wrote about something. Just, you know, we got we got that stuff going. So uh, you can find that on the website cinematary.com. You can sign up for the newsletter again. It's free. And finally, the easiest way to support this show is to go on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a rating and review. You know, this is just how the algorithms work. I know every show asks you to do this, but it, honestly, if, if you could take, a, you know, 30 seconds to a minute and do this, it would greatly, you know, help us. I mean, this helps us just as much as, you know, signing up for the Patreon uh, or letting people know on social media that you listen to Cinematary and you enjoy it. Uh, all of that stuff is, is very helpful, so give us a rating review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to the podcast and, you know, share it on social media. Let people know that Cinematary is around. So again, uh, consider donating to Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Cinematary. Sign up for the free newsletter and then give us a rating and review on your podcaster app. Well, that is way too much of me talking. You're about to hear more of me talking. So I apologize in advance, but thank you for listening. And let's get back to the show. of episode 289 of Cinematary. In this part, we will be continuing our intro to avant-garde series with structure and psychedelia. Um, real quick, quickly to start out, though, Ash, this is your first episode on the um, on the series, and so I'm curious, just before we dig into the different films, um, what is, what's your experience with avant-garde cinema, and are you a uh, pro or are you a skeptic? Um, I'm definitely pro. Um, I'm pro avant-garde. I, um, in undergrad, I was sort of exposed to avant-garde in an intro to film class and, um, uh, was really drawn to structuralist films, um, by particularly Hollis Frampton and, uh, Sue Friedrich were, two of my favorite filmmakers, um, right off the bat. And, um, I didn't do a ton of like digging or searching in, um, avant-garde after that, but just whenever I, uh, 
stumbled upon something. Um, I've always tended to at least be interested um, in the uh, genre. Are we calling it a genre? Is avant-garde a genre? Or is it a style? Have we talked about that? Um, I don't know if we've talked about that. I kind of view it as like a... Well, I think it's a little of both. Yeah, yeah, because I think I think they're, um, you know, they're like, you know, quote unquote, plain old narrative films that ha- that are just have you know elements of avant garde, but then they're you know straight up, <laughs> straight up avant garde films. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I guess it could go either way, but um, yeah, I tend to like weird stuff and things that. Um, uh, you know, that are off the wall or just, um, thinking about film or just like the film and video medium in a different, um, uh, way than the typical, um, three act narrative structure. So yeah, definitely pro. And I've, I've seen, um, a bit of avant-garde films and I had seen, um, Black Ice and Lemon before. Those were the two that I had seen, but the others on this for this week I had not um, uh, experienced, so I was glad to get to see them. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the first one uh, that we'll talk about is is this is one that uh, kind of contains a, a, th- a thought line that I've been kind of simmering on throughout this series um the first one is called a movie which came out in 1958 and it's directed by bruce connor and there's absolutely no way you could not know any of that because it says a movie by bruce connor so many times <laughs> to, to, to like kick yeah. off the movie it's kind of entertaining it's like a it's like a like a child yeah. like made a movie by by themselves and they're just really proud of it uh <laughs> yeah but uh, what I was thinking about with with a movie, it's very much in line with things that we've talked about in both of the previous episodes, and it's that kind of marriage of uh, of so score or music and voice with the images on screen, and especially this one where, where it's like the this the. the um, pairing of Pines of Rome with uh, the images on screen, which is just kind of this fa- uh, you know random found footage that Connor has compiled together. Um, but it's something that we've talked about a little bit throughout the two episodes we've done in the series so far, where you have this marriage of of sound and image, but um, the 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 style of avant garde kind of allows you to distort and play with that. Where we have something much more traditional and like the Takata and Fugue sequence of uh, Fantasia that we talked about in the first episode. This one um, was really interesting because this is another, strangely enough, another piece that is used in Fantasia, Pines of Rome. But uh, in this one, the thing I was thinking about was how we use music to like and this is something i got into in my video essay on um beethoven but it's like how we use music to influence like the actions on screen and like our feelings 
in relations to what's happening on screen because this one for a little bit of the of the start time it kind of adds like the the flow of the music the the vivac- the vivacity of the music like what it's trying to accomplish um seems in line with what's being shown on screen and then connor kind of starts to twist that and you you have like this jovial playful um kind of fanfare-esque music that is uh, lots of parts of, of Pines of Rome, but with images that really do not align with that. And so it's sitting there kind of manipulating you as the viewer and how you're like reacting to what's on screen compared to what you're hearing. And so it's something that we talked about in terms of like um, engaging with like kind of those senses and how and how we're we're you know watching those two interact together but uh ash what, what did you make of a movie i mean did you cap catch any of that that kind of weird uh you know what the music's doing and what the images are doing yeah definitely um i mean my first impression was um like wow the the name is not going away <laughs> for a while we get oh, he's very uh, proud the name Bruce Connor for about 30 seconds before um, we move on. And then it says a movie um, and then Bruce Connor again. Um, and so that was um, an interesting, uh, <laughs> just you know, just a moment right off the bat. But um, yeah, the music um, it's interesting because it's like, I don't know. I'm not really a uh, like a classic music person, but um, it sort of reminded me of like I don't know, like classical Hollywood, like Peter Pan or something like that. Um, maybe I'm completely uh, not having the right connotation for Pines of Rome, but um, it was sort of interesting to see like. I, you know, we get like images from like, uh, like softcore porn, like right off the bat. And so this like, sort of like triumphant music, <laughs> um, like, uh, on top of that. And like, um, you know, it made more sense when it, when we get to like, you know, horses running through a field and things like that. But, you know, some of the images were, um, I don't know, it didn't quite connect but it was nonetheless entertaining I think I was more rather than the music I was more focused on the images themselves and the way that they were interrupted by the title cards throughout um because we get you know not only that introduction of Bruce Connor a movie by Bruce Connor you know, in the beginning, but we, we are constantly reminded throughout and we're interrupted, um, throughout by movie, you know, just a a title card that says movie. And sometimes it's upside down and sometimes, you know, um, there's other, you know, random stuff, but you know, it's like constantly movie Bruce Connor. And that was sort of intriguing to me is like, um, I didn't really see it as much as like, oh, this is like a kid who's just really proud of what he's made, although that is also a very funny interpretation. But I sort of saw it as like, I don't know, um, uh, you know, like, 
um, like authorial intent or something, you know, maybe he was making a comment on this, on the way that directors, um, weave themselves through movies, but I, I don't know, maybe I'm thinking too hard about it. Um, maybe he is just really proud of what he's made. Uh, but that was an interesting thing for me. Yeah. It reminded me, um, I'm trying to think if it's the, yeah, I think it was this one. Um, let me try, I'm, I'm trying to look at the other ones that we watched. Yeah, it was this one. This one reminded me a little bit of, uh, the, uh, from last week, the Rose Hobart, um, short by jo- Joseph Cornell, which, um, I don't know if you've seen that one, Ash, but it's like, they've taken, um, sequences from a mo- from a, a movie that Rose Hobart's in, but, uh, completely cut out like the entire most of the of the narrative and it's just like the scenes where she's in um, and it's kind of like this strange surreal element where you're watching this movie where you're losing so many elements of like the plot or what's happening and you're just focused on this one figure um, and I kind of got that sense there where it was like you were catching moments of something but like you said you're you're cut away to like a title card or you're cut to some other piece of footage and because the footage is so fragmented and unaligned um, it sometimes like I'll say there's the um there's the the cut where it you have like the bomb dropping in the water and you see the big kind of mushroom and then it cuts into people like surfing on the on a wave which is wonderful and um but it reminded me of 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 that movie from last week rose hobart just because you kind of have like these fragmented moments and that kind of keeps you uh uh it keeps you kind of you know knocked off a, a little bit you're kind of you're kind of you know unsure of like where you are at at times just because of the way it cuts the way it moves to a to a uh to text and how it never feels like you're fully like inside a uh whatever the the footage is showing you yeah and um i guess uh let's go ahead and move on to the uh the second film and i'm letting you to uh notes on the circus um the filmmaker is jonas mekas is it mekas um, I'm gonna. That's, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, um, but it came out in 1966. It's a very interesting sort of. Um, I would I would call this one psychedelia. <laughs> um, if we're putting these in either structural or psychedelic categories, um, this one's very like. Uh, it, it's. Um, it, it seems like very much, uh, like notes, um, or, or like a highlight reel almost. Um, he seems to have like filmed different events at a circus and put them, um, in editing sort of, um, you know, cutting certain bits out and making the result sort of like very, like, jagged and um he's uh put like different speeds on the different clips and um i don't know it's uh there's it's like continuously like speeding up and yeah yeah after a while you're just you, you kind of like lose sense of like where you're at it's kind of crazy right yeah it's while it's um there's really no um sort of narrative to follow other than it just being like a uh sort of visual trip and it's 
I mean, it's really pleasing to watch. And um, I don't know if, I mean, uh, I'm watching it on YouTube. I don't know if this music is like original for the film. If it is, that's super interesting to me. Um, But yeah, what did you think about, um, do you know if the music is original or not? Yes. It doesn't seem like it's original. Um, it seems kind of like the almost like canned, at least the second half. Because it's this is interesting compared to a, a movie, which uh, a movie I was I, you know I forgot to mention it before. But the other thing I was thinking about in terms of like the music and the image was that it's you're you have also we, we've talked about it with a lot of pretty much all of the the films that have kind of you know had these kind of sound and image qualities to it where most of the time pretty much the entire time that uh, from the series so far we've seen it uh where it's not like spoken word in the music you know it's 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 something you know it might be some jazz it might be ambient it might be classical um in this one you have like a sung song uh to like to kind of kick it off and so for that first little bit you have that song playing and you kind of have a more traditional of like image clips and the song kind of uh, providing like your emotional path and you're following along with it. And then it, it shifts into these um, kind of more like circus uh, merry-go-round. I don't, I'm like, I don't know what the best way to describe, you know, this good, like kind of music that you uh, kind of uh, put you put as like circus music um without going into like the dun 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 I guess there there's there's kind of a reference point but that similar that kind of jazzy type music um and that's what I see go ahead yeah yeah I didn't really sort of hear it as like circus music it was almost like I don't know like saloon music that's a good way of describing it as well yeah um, I mean, until we get into like the end part and then it's almost like, it's still almost like ragtime, but it's like, uh, just sort of sillier. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just really interesting choice to me, I guess. Um, well, to me, it was interesting just like, like how I would like to see, I don't know if, if we get it in this series, but I would like to see like, like a sung like a spoken word song, like you know, it's sung, uh, with like avant-garde images, um, because like I said, whenever that song's playing, it's pretty traditional. There's nothing too, um, it's not playing with anything as much. But um, then, like you said, once the ragtime saloon type music plays, it it starts to kind of uh, ramp up and and speed up. But I I don't know. To me, it was interesting, like how like is is maybe there and this is something that people can write in or i'm sure the two curators of the series andrew and nathan could tell us but um i don't know is there is there like avant-garde uh you know films that kind of have spoken word songs um with the kind of with with those frayed images uh, to me that would be kind of the that would be really strange and interesting to, to to take in yeah and this one sort of reminded me again of like um, man with a movie camera, just sort of like the documentarian style where 
you know, you're just filming something and then just like really screwing around with it once you get into the editing room, you know, and it's like, that's where it really becomes, you know, majorly experimental. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I really dig that sort of style, I think, you know, because what's happening is really <laughs> wild, you know, I've never been to a circus. It's like, elephants and stuff <laughs> yeah 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 and it's and like it it, it, it yeah it kind of just like becomes like the worst nightmare really for for like a circus right. because like you said it like it's speeding up and and uh all everything's kind of like uh meshing together and you're not really sure what you're watching but you still like see image like people and bodies like flying through the air and it's it's kind of it becomes almost like a horror movie you can um, really like lean into it i want to even say like um i don't know like the music choice makes it pleasurable and like almost i mean it the film was made in 66 but i don't know like you know, this would kind of be a nightmare if the music choice were different, but because it's like this, um, I don't know, um, I'm the name of the, uh, you know, that old cowboy singer guy, Jimmy, what's his face? Um, uh, Jimmy, what's his face? You know, you know who I'm talking Jimmy Rogers. Jimmy Rogers, you know, it's like, it's like Jimmy Rogers style, like old cowboy music, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it just feels like nostalgic and like happy. (laughs) Whereas like, you know, this would have a completely different mood if it were like, you know, like the soundtrack to, you know, uh, outer space or something like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, th- this one didn't work for me as as much. Um, but anyway, moving on to uh, to our third movie in this episode, we have Lemon, which comes from Lemon. Hollis Frampton in 1969. Uh, and pff, I mean, this 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 gives you what you're getting. You know, there's not there's no <laughs> nuance to the old. Oh, there might be. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing. But to me, there there's was not. There's a little bit of nuance. There, there wasn't much, you know. It, it's it's pretty straightforward. There is a light that, uh, pretty. I mean, for lack of a better phrase, you get to watch the eclipse of a lemon. You know, that's pretty much what happens. Uh, personally, I love the the most popular review on Letterbox, which is a person could accuse this film of many things, but false advertising isn't one of them. Because yeah, I mean, it's it gives you what you what you want. Um, Ash, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts on this, but for me. I mean, it's it, it's fine, so be it. Uh, but this seems to be like the quintessential, like this would be the touchstone that people who like despise or are skeptical or think avant-garde cinema is stupid. Like this seems to be the this would be the touchstone one to go. This is why this is stupid. Um, so I'm curious to, to hear what you made of it. Yeah, um, I actually watched this with some friends, which was interesting. Um, I was at a different. Um, place when I watched this one than when I watched the rest of them. I'd seen this for the first time a long time ago, sort of when I was first um, discovering Hollis Frampton and the others. And I kind of had this reaction where I was like, well, it's a lemon. (laughs) It said it was a lemon. And well, it was indeed a lemon. 
Um, and, but this time around, it was kind of interesting, um, because, uh, you know, the folks who I watched it with, um, one of them had no experience with avant-garde and a couple of them had just, you know, sort of minimal, um, experience with avant-garde. And, um, you know, I was like, well, you know, we're going to watch this movie. It's seven minutes long. It's called Lemon. And I just put it on. And, um, and my friend who had no experience with avant-garde was like, you know, getting really impatient. Like, what are we watching? It's a lemon. Okay. We get it. It's a lemon. But my two other friends were like, wait, is the light moving or is the lemon moving? We're just like more interested in like, (laughs) you know, what was happening. And, um, with the lemon, we're like, oh, it's getting brighter, you know, just like, um, following the journey of the lemon. Um, so it was kind of fun to watch it with some other people, um, who had no idea what was going on, but yeah, I mean, I could see how, you know, you know, my friend would get really impatient with this movie and be like, yeah, well, it's just a lemon. But at the same time, um, I thought it was kind of fun to watch, you know, just watching a lemon, watching a lemon make a, uh, it, it's like the life of a lemon, you know, making its rotation around the sun, you know, or is the sun rotating around the lemon? Who knows? You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think that like how you describe that experience, because yeah, like on one end you have the person who's just like, what the hell is this? It's just a lemon, blah, blah, you know, like, um, but at the same time you have, uh, like you have the other side where it's like, well, is the, is the light moving or the lemon moving? And like, to me again, like that's at the end of the day, that seems to be like a microcosm of this is, this is kind of this this is experience with avant-garde cinema um you know all of these uh all of these reactions are fine like like you're open to you know every interpretation and that's kind of the the interesting um fold of 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 this genre style whatever we want to you know narrow it down to but um i don't know to me that's really cool that that was the experience because it, for for even the person who had never seen it you can be like yeah i mean that's what's wonderful you have you have this you can react in any way that it, it kind of opens up the space for you to just kind of interpret and come up with random stuff like that's the point um so that's cool i don't know that's that's more interesting than than, than anything i got out of the movie so <laughs> If you're looking for a lemon, you should watch it. There you go. It's on. Uh, it's it's available on YouTube. If you're if you've never if you've never seen a lemon, maybe I don't know. Maybe you want to be uh, introduced. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Um, all right, uh, Ash, you got our next one. Yeah, three transitions. I uh, I really liked this one. This one. Um, it's really wild is made by Peter Campus in 1973 and it is exactly as lemon is it is exactly what it says it is three transitions um but um in a different way uh you know transitions can mean a lot of things and this is sort of uh what's left up to interpretation um so basically, in the first transition, we see um, uh, this strange sort of optical illusion almost, or like movie magic camera illusion. Um, 
a camera trick that um, Peter Campus is doing where um, he seems to like uh, walk in front of this yellow screen, cut it open, which you see like the knife cut down his jacket on his back and then he crawls through the hole. It's really sort of hard to describe just saying it. But um, basically, he's he's he's. I think he's got like a camera on each side. Is I think how he's doing it. But anyway, and then he's like uh, double exposing the images on top of each other. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's that's, yeah, what, that's it, what it. Yeah, I think he just filmed it. He filmed it one. He filmed it one way, and then he filmed it another way, and then you know double exposure the the two yeah. on top of each other. Yeah. Um, that seems to be what's happening there. And, we need Miranda here. Yeah. Miranda way in. Yeah, and then um, the second go round, um, what's happening is um, he's rubbing this balm or something on his, all over his face. I want to think that it's like this one's gnarly. Yeah, this one is gnarly. I I love this one though. I think I think the thing that I love the most about three transitions is I'm just like, how is he doing it? It's sort of like, it's really sort of a movie magic type of <laughs> a little thing. Um, oh yeah, no, that's what I was thinking of. Like it, it like it, it's like a total callback to like early movies, like Edison Shorts, Melies, like all, like like it's just all of this. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't know what this is. It's not a story or anything. I don't care. It's just cool, and I can do it. You know. Yeah. It 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 gives me like um, especially this second one where he's rubbing this balm on his face, and what's happening is you can see through his face, and what's behind his face is his face (laughs) and i don't know how else to explain that but please go watch it um but it sort of like it makes me think of like these cringy surrealist memes um is what it makes me think of so if you're into like surrealist meme bots on twitter or instagram definitely watch this uh definitely watch this short um because it is frightening and abject and i love it um (laughs) and then the third transition is um uh i think sort of falls flat in comparison to the first two but basically he lights a moving image on fire um which the moving image is him. It's his face. Um, and then he just watches it burn, uh, which is interesting. But I think the, <laughs> the, um, the f- first two were sort of shocking to watch. So yeah, this was a really great one for me. Yeah, no, I really like this one as well. This was one of my favorites of this, um, group just because again, like it, it definitely has elements of avant-garde and just kind of the, like you were describing just the surreal elements of like the, the balm and his face behind his face and like this, the, just the, the strangeness of it. But it also, like I said, it, it kind of has like this callback to early movies where it was just taking the images at hand and, and like manipulating them to do 
uh you know magic uh i i like that it kind of had that that whimsy to it and so yeah i would recommend uh people check this one out yeah it was sort of uh, refreshing to see this you know this came out in um the 70s and he's doing stuff that like i don't understand in 2020 which is really wild you know um that uh it it sort of had this like really exciting quality that was like not only is it you know um like a cinema of attraction but it's also um like he's doing something just like weird and mystical and magical and it was in the 70s and it now it's like um like we should know what he's doing to his face you know when he's sticking this balm on there like this should be <laughs> like we should know <laughs> but we don't and it's still weird and i love it and also just uh his face and like it, it, rem- it reminded me of something from uh <laughs> from like <laughs> the performance is killer <laughs> yeah it, it reminded me of like some timic tim and eric thing as well like that's that's kind of my that's what i was <laughs> relating it to the most um yeah he has a very straight face throughout yeah um all right well our next one is uh pixelation uh this one is from 1970 by lillian schwartz it's only about four minutes long and it's pretty much just all of these kind of computer animations that are uh just the the different fragments and uh, uh fixtures of computer animation all kind of swelled together um it's very much in tuned with like with the uh, another one that we're gonna t- or the next two that we're gonna talk about for sure uh, after this one where it's just kind of the this uh, it's very much in the experience realm. Um, <laughs> you know, I think the the very easy shorthand to kind of give people who have not experienced these. Um, an idea of is like the Stargate sequence from 2001 where you just kind of have these um, images and fragments and things all kind of crossing your like you know almost like approaching you to an extent because it's just everything's moving around and they're they're, you're almost supposed to have kind of this high quality from it um i like this one well enough i didn't i didn't respond to it quite as much as i thought i would i was kind of excited to watch this um you know it, it it reminded me also of the um sequence early in michael mann's black hat where uh you like go like through the cords of the internet which is insane which is just like this wonderful sequence um it seemed like a a precursor to that where that's that's more what it felt like it felt like you were like going through this universe but it was all in like the universe of this man-made computer which was strange and surreal what what did you make of it well it's also it's it is like there's pixels obviously and it's like there are a lot of computer elements but there's also like some of the clips have like a liquid element or like a microscopic element i feel like i'm looking at you know substances under a microscope moving around um or like a lava lamp really close up um you know what i mean it's like uh you know and it's all red 
the liquids are. And so I almost felt like not only am I moving through a computer, but I also kind of got vibes like um, the beginning of Uncut Gems. So I'm like, I'm moving through Adam Sandler's <laughs> yeah. colon or something. Um, but um, so that was sort of interesting for me, like, uh, like almost like it was um, sort of comparing the body to the inside of a computer because it did feel very much like um like insides like guts and blood because of the colors and just the way that it was it's it's all like very close up and you can't you don't really have any context for what these substances are and then they transition so um abruptly um into like computer pixels um sort of uh i don't know it's just like the guts of everything (laughs) man and machine definitely um let's move on to the next one because i i me personally i really responded to the the next film in the in the series yeah liquid crystals you have um it it's it introduces it with like these um these title cards kind of describing like the the whole process because you have like these uh these these shapes and colors that are coming from under a microscope because you have uh you know everything is photographed under under this polarized microscope and you and they're all crystals and this is very much like within the uncut gems going through adam sandler's colon type things as well um because you have these crystals and they're like moving in a way that they almost look like you're looking within like a cell or something like they look like organisms that are um that are kind of functioning and moving and you have all of these just various shapes and colors and designs and patterns and um it's only like so are these actually this is really stupid are these actually I was sort of confused at what I was looking at in this one. <laughs> I really had no idea. I thought liquid crystal was like a metaphor. No, I think it's. I'm pretty sure they're crystals and they, they're under like it's a microscope. It's literally okay. Yeah, it's a crystal. It looks and like they, they bugs. Just... It looks like bugs and like silk sheets <laughs> to me. <laughs> I don't know. You have like this uh, this electronic music by this uh, uh, this French artist like playing. I don't. Know, I really vibed with this one. This was like this was like peak. Um, the like... the music is killer. Um, yeah for sure i just wasn't sure what i was looking at i mean it looks cool but this is definitely like one like if you're gonna get high and then watch avant-garde cinema like put this one on the list because this i don't i mean as long as you know that it's crystals and not bugs because i was kind of (laughs) (laughs) i was kind of freaked out i was like what are all these bugs doing on these silk sheets (laughs) um I don't know. Yeah, it's on uh, the Criterion channel, so uh, if you have access to that, I would you can watch it there. Um, our next one is a director was by a director that we've covered before on Cinematary, Stan Brackage. We talked about Dog Star Man last year as part of our Young Critics series. Um, this one it's about uh, three minutes long. It's called Black Ice. Um, and it's inspired it's just inspired by a bad fall on a patch of black ice that resulted in brackage needing eye surgery um, <clears throat> and so it's it's kind of this 
this uh, very similar to the last two where it's just kind of these fragmented shapes and colors and images all kind of uh, coming together in um, kind of a frantic manner. Like you can see like the, the inspiration of like a bad, of like somebody like falling down and like coming quickly to the earth um, because there is kind of the speed to it that is, uh, that is kind of overpowering. Um, I don't know. This this one was short. I don't. So it was weird. I don't like. I don't have a lot to say about it, but I, I liked it. Uh, I liked it well enough. What What did you make of Black Eyes? Yeah, um, I've seen this one before, and I've always liked it. It's good to look at, but I think you know it's sort of mesmerizing just because I feel like every time I watch it, I feel like I'm being pulled into the screen. Do you have this sensation when you watch it? I feel like there's an optical illusion happening. Well, it's it, like what's so is yeah because again going back to like the fact that it's like supposed to feel like this like bad fall like like it does it kind of feels like you're being like there's like this pull to it and that I guess that's kind of the the allure of the of the the film is like it has like this kind of physical nature to it while it's you know this two D um, thing. It's definitely like I find it very um, mesmerizing. I enjoy watching it, but again, like it's uh, I, there's not really a lot to say about it. I don't think. I. Um, all right. Well, why don't you take us home with the last one? Outer space. Yeah, this one's wild. Um, so outer space is. Um, I you know. I could try and pronounce this um, guy's last name, um, Peter. I think it's Peter Shirkassi. Shirkassi. Peter Shirkassi. Um, it's really nightmarish. Um, <laughs> it's a nightmare. This is a nightmare film. Um, we. It's also very widescreen, um, just like right off the bat um but it's really interesting it has unlike the rest of these um shorts it has a character um in it and um i don't know i really enjoyed it it kind of gave me um like meshes of the afternoon um inspired vibes but um we're in this uh, house. The light is uh, crazy. The way that um, I'm not sure, like exactly, it, like how this is being filmed, or it's almost like um, time is being screwed with a lot, and a lot is being done in editing. It's just like really visually wild and definitely like uh, um, nightmarish and frightening and a lot of scary stuff happens and the music certainly doesn't uh, help or does help depending on how you're looking at it. Yeah, this is this is definitely like the uh, early version of to an extent of the... Uh what is it called light is waiting that we watched in the first in the first uh episode with where it's just kind of like this um 
disintegration into like this extreme psychedelia uh yeah this one was a lot <laughs> i don't know this like I, I agree with you it's 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 almost like a horror film because um it also reminded me a little bit of of the rose hobart movie just uh to, because you have like these images like you're clearly like watching a movie but you're not watching like the movie in order you're just getting like different parts of it and then you're also like superimposing parts of it so you're seeing like the scene play out in three different uh like right next like right on top of each other and um it's kind of like rather than like the expanse that you would expect from outer space it's like everything it's like everything that we know about whatever's happening has been condensed onto itself and you're watching it in in like all in this one condensed um fashion and that's just like after a while you're just like this is a lot (laughs) yeah for sure and just like i don't know i mean obviously just by the way it's shot from the beginning you're like wow this isn't gonna end well (laughs) um but uh you know just like watching this woman move through this house is uh really suspenseful even though really um not a lot happens necessarily for a while um but you know just visually it's interesting and frightening and you know the music does a lot of work um but yeah by the end it's like really intense you know there's the bit where she's like um like just slamming and you don't have a lot of context again for really anything that's happening but she's just like like hitting something really hard and the way that it's cut it looks like the person or thing that she's hitting is actually herself almost um it's really weird um i'm into it but it's strange yeah i i I don't know. We should make Jessica watch this one. She really reacted in a in a succinct way to Light is Waiting. So <laughs> I'm sure she would appreciate Outer yeah. Space as well. Let's let's phone a friend. Let's phone a friend. Um, cool. Well, I believe that will wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us at facebook.com slash cinematary at Twitter and Instagram at handle at cinematary and on letterbox.com slash cinematary where we post all the movies that we talked about in this episode. Uh, also, big thanks to our patrons over on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash cinematary if you'd like to support the show and our wonderful group of writers. Um, thank you to Cam, Chad Newsom, Christina Daughtry, Cindy Roberts, Harry Eskin, uh, Maggie, Matthew Lingo, Ron Hayes. Uh, gosh, I'm so sorry again. Three Eggs, Vishwanathan, uh, Titus Arthur, Tyler Chandler, and Whitney Rio Ross. Thank you so much for your patronage. Uh, head over to the site. We got reviews of Sorry We Missed You, the 2020 film by Ken Loach, as well as It's Complicated, the 2009 film by Nancy Myers. But then we also will be continuing our intro to avant-garde series next week uh we will be looking at two michael snow features um if you'll head if you go to our google doc which is in the show notes both of these are available on youtube so if you'd like to check them out uh you can do so ahead of time but uh until next week thank you for listening